Surf and I chat to. Not even bother. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day pass, as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be, uh, you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, the, the land of the Philistines, I will even destroy thee, that, thou, sorry, that there shall not be no inhabitant. And the seacoast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds, and folds for flocks. And the coast uh, shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revelings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This shall they have uh, for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. And men shall worship him, every one from his place, even the isles of the heathen. The Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and against Assyria, and I will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. And flocks shall lie down in the midst of her, all the beasts of the nations. Both uh, the Comorant and the Bittern uh, shall lodge in the upper lintels of it. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be in the thresholds, for he shall uncover the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt, in, dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in? Everyone that passeth by her shall hiss and wag his hands. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Holy Father, we do thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come once again around your word. Lord, I pray that this evening as we continue our study in the book of Zephaniah, I pray that you give me wisdom and guidance this evening. I pray that it be your words, that it be your thoughts. But Lord, you would empower me through the Holy Spirit this evening and speak to our hearts. May you teach us through your word. May we learn something from it and gain an understanding of uh, your word this evening. And may we leave singing your praises and rejoicing in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, if you remember, the theme of the book of Zephaniah is the day of the Lord. Okay, we saw that when we did the introduction. We saw that it's all about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, of course, is speaking about the day of God's judgment. It's not necessarily one particular day or one particular period of time. Okay, It refers to any day of divine judgment. Okay, Of course, we refer to the end time, the, the final judgment as the great day of the Lord. Okay, The day of the Lord in general refers to uh, the judgment of God upon 
of the nations. And in chapter 1, we saw that Zephaniah um, declares that the day of the Lord has arrived for the southern kingdom of Judah. It was fast approaching. You know, they had forsaken the Lord, and unless, unless they repented, judgment was coming. And that judgment, of course, would eventually arrive at the hand of the Babylonians, which we know. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 declares to us, it says, judgment must begin at the house of God. And that explains to us why Zephaniah begins his prophecy with Judah. Okay, he starts with the house of God, declaring the judgment that's coming against them for their sin. But now in chapter 2 from verse 4 and onwards, he turns his attention to the Gentile nations. The Gentile nations that are round about Judah. You see, they were not going to escape the day of the Lord. It wasn't as if God was just going to deal with his people and ignore the sins of these nations. The day of the Lord was coming for each of these nations surrounding Judah. You know, even though these nations did not have God's law, you know, they hadn't been given God's law as the Jews had, they were still responsible to God. Turn over with me to, uh, to Psalm 147, just quickly. Psalm 147. It speaks about the privileged position that the Jews had. Psalm 147. And verse 19. Psalm 147, verse 19. It says, He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not declared so with any nation. Uh, Sorry, he hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye. Lord, you know, Psalm 147 there talks about the privileged position that the nation of Israel had. They had the law, they had the judgments of God. No other nation had this privilege. But that did not excuse these other nations. That did not mean that these other nations were not accountable unto God. You see, God still revealed himself unto them in creation. God has still revealed himself unto them in conscience. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. This is what Romans talks about, isn't it? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 20 ends by saying that they are without excuse. That's the reality for all of mankind. All of mankind is without excuse. All of mankind is accountable to God. If mankind looks for him, God is there to be found. He has revealed himself unto man. And so these nations surrounding Judah are not without excuse. Okay, they, they, they cannot offer excuses to God. They cannot um, complain about God's judgment coming upon them. They were without excuse. They had uh, accountability to God. You know, also, judgment was coming because of their mistreatment of God's people, wasn't it? Each of these nations had mistreated the people of God on numerous occasions. And so now God is going to deal with them for that. And the nations that we have named here in chapter 2 correspond to the four points of a compass. You have Assyria in the north, Ethiopia in the south, the Philistines in the west, 
and Ammon and Moab in the east. All four points of the compass. And it may be that these nations are meant to represent here all Gentile nations of the world. And indeed, in the great day of the Lord, all nations will be judged. And so there is possibly an implication for that here in this chapter. But primarily here we see these four nations to the north, the south, the east and the west are dealt with by Almighty God. And so this evening we want to consider the prophecy for each of these nations and indeed see how we see them fulfilled before our very eyes. So first of all, we see the Philistines. The Philistines. Look at me in verse 4. It says, For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. The prophecy here against the nations begins with the nation immediately to the west. You know, this nation is the Philistine nation. You know, they were the ancient enemy of the Jews, weren't they? Okay, this is a an enemy that Israel fought with time and time again throughout their history. Now, when Israel first came into the land of Canaan, the Philistines were one of the main thorns in their side. Throughout the book of Judges, we see them mentioned time and time again, the Philistines coming up against Israel. By the time of King Saul on the throne, the Philistines really are the main power, aren't they? They're the main enemy when Saul is on the throne. And indeed, into the beginning of David's reign too. The Philistines are the main power. But here we see that the Philistine nation is going to be dealt with, going to be judged by Almighty God. Now Amos in his book also condemned the Philistines. Turn over there, Amos chapter 1 with me. In Amos chapter 1 and verse 6, says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour the palaces thereof, and I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Eshkelon, and I will turn mine hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God." You know, Amos here declares judgment against the Philistines as well. And Amos gives us a little bit more information. He says that they're going to be judged because of their treatment of Israel. Because they had captured cities of Judah and they'd actually sold the Israelites into slavery to other nations. Now truly the Philistines had been a thorn in the side of Israel for years. They'd mistreated God's people horribly and now God says enough's enough. God's going to deal with them. God reveals to Zephaniah here that the time is fast approaching when their cities are going to be left empty. Their land is going to be left desolate. That's what it says here in verse 4. It says, For Gaza shall be forsaken, Ashkelon a desolation, and they shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. The prophet here mentions four of the, the great five Philistine cities. Okay, There was five main Philistine cities. The only one not mentioned here is Gath. Okay, the city of Gath. And the reason it's not mentioned is that the Philistines don't own it at this time. Okay, the Philistines don't have possession of Gath. It's actually controlled by Judah at this time. So they've already lost Gath. And so Gath is not mentioned, uh, as I said, because it's under Jewish control. But these other four are mentioned. And Zephaniah declares that each of these main cities is going to be destroyed by the invading armies. 
And the nation that's going to do this is none other than the Babylonians. It's the same army that's coming up to defeat Israel is going to defeat the Philistines as well. And there's a play on words here with each of the city names and the nature of the punishment that's coming for them. It's not seen in the English, but in the Hebrew, there's a play on words. We're told here that Gaza shall be forsaken. The name Gaza in the Hebrew means strong or mighty. And so what he's saying is the strong, the mighty, shall be forsaken, shall be deserted. This once strong and mighty city is going to be left empty. There's going to be no strength at all left in it. It's going to be forsaken. And then he says, and Ashkelon, a desolation. The name Ashkelon here is derived from the fact that it was located on fertile plains. And they grew Ashkelots, okay, which is the green onions. Okay, and they grew there in abundance. Okay, and so that's how the city got its name. And so what he's saying here is that this once uh, fertile city, this, this city that's known for its trade, this city that's known for its wealth, is going to now be made barren and desolate. And so again, he, he's using the name of the city and then he's applying it with uh, a de- destruction that's coming upon it. This fertile city is going to be made desolate or barren. And then in verse 4 we see it says, And they shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday. The name Ashdod in the Hebrew means stronghold or fortress. And this is what Ashdod was to the Philistines. It was their stronghold. It was their fortress. It was a city of great strength. And the prophecy here declares that this once mighty fortress is going to become so defenseless that it's going to be taken at the noonday in broad daylight. The point is the enemy is not going to have to come up at night and sneak around or you know, encamp around them for weeks at end. They're going to take them in broad daylight easily. That's the point here. Okay, this once mighty city, this fortress, is going to be easily overcome. It's going to be so weak, it will be taken at the noon. And then of the last city, Ekron, it's declared that it shall be rooted up. In the Hebrew, the word Ekron actually means to root up. That's what his name means, to root up. And so the very city that bears the name to root up is now itself going to be rooted up. And of course, the picture is of a tree being rooted up out of the ground, roots and all, lying on its side, and then that tree withers, decays uh, into nothing. And so the idea is that this city is going to wither, it's going to perish, it's going to be rooted up like a tree. Then in verse 5 and 6, he goes on to mention the coastal cities. Verse 5, he says, Woe unto the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, the land of the Philistines. I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no inhabitant, and the seacoast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds, and folds for flocks. Here he mentions the, the coastal cities of the Philistines. And these coastal cities were wealth wealthy cities because of their shipping enterprises. And basically he says here that these, these wealthy cities are likewise going to be destroyed and left in ruins and they're going to be so destroyed that what's going to be left is pastures for the shepherd and his flocks. Nothing's going to be left of these cities. It's going to be wiped out and it's going to become a dwelling place for shepherds and for their flocks. 
You know, the prophecy against the Philistine nation here was for the most part fulfilled, as I said, when the Babylonians came into the land. They invaded and they conquered the nation of the Philistines just like they conquered the Israelites. And you know, all that remains of this once great nation today is the name Palestine, which comes from Philistine. That's all that remains, really. Or you can say the Gaza Strip. Again, it's just the title, isn't it? This nation doesn't exist. It is gone exactly as God said. These cities were destroyed, as God said they would be, by the Babylonians. The memory of the Philistine nation was wiped from the face of the earth. See, the only part that is yet to be fulfilled here concerning this prophecy for Philistine is verse 7. It says, And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down in the evening. For the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. This really is the only part of this prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. Because here we're told that there is a day coming when the Jews will inhabit the land of the Philistines. When it will be their land. And of course the Jews are not going to do that fully until Christ comes again. When Christ comes again and sets up his kingdom here on earth, they will indeed, as it says in verse 7, possess the land of the Philistines. And they will inhabit that land in peace because Christ will be on the throne. The second nation that we see here, or nations, is Moab and Ammon. In verse 8 to 11. Verse 8 we read, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revelings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. We see secondly here that judgment is declared now against the nations to the east. The nations Moab and Ammon, and they're joined together. And the reason they're put together is that they're siblings, aren't they? Okay, these two nations came from Lot. Okay, Genesis chapter 19 tells us about how he came out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he ended up having a relationship with his daughters. Okay, they got him drunk, and he had that incestuous relationship. And from those relationships, from his two daughters, came these two nations, Moab and Ammon. And so these two are joined together here. You know, these two nations were related to the children of Israel. But even though they're related to the children of Israel, they weren't friends. They were bitter enemies. They were bitter enemies. And here we see that God charges them with reviling and reproaching his people. He says in verse 8 there, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. God says he's seen what they've done. He's seen how they've reproached his people, how they've ridiculed his people, how they've afflicted his people. At the end of verse 8, he says they've magnified themselves against their border. In other words, they've come up and attacked the borders of Israel and they've taken the land, the territory that belonged to the Jews. In verse 10, he tells us that they're also going to be judged because of pride. It says in verse 10 there, This shall they have for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. God says he's going to judge them also because of their pride. Their pride, they magnified themselves against God and against his people. They lifted themselves up. They thought they were better than God, better than his people, and they were full of pride. Indeed, the other prophets 
say the same thing concerning the Ammonites and the Moabites. They say they were proud and arrogant people. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 16. Isaiah 16 and verse 6. It says, We have heard the pride of Moab. He's very proud even of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. You have Isaiah the prophet, and he declares that they, we have heard of the pride of Moab. He's very proud. Again, highlighting the, the, the sin of this nation. And then Ezekiel also, Ezekiel 25 also talks about these two. Ezekiel 25 and verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites, and prophesy against them, and say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God, because thou saidest, are against my sanctuary, when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel, when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah, when they went into captivity. Behold, therefore I will deliver thee to the men of the east for a possession. And they shall set their palaces in thee and make their dwellings in thee. They shall eat fruit, thy fruit, and they shall make thy, uh, sorry, and they shall drink thy milk. Uh, we'll keep reading. It says, And I will make Rabbah a, sta- a stable for camels, and, f- and the Ammonites a cush- uh, couching place for flocks. And you shall know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast clapped thine hands and stamped with the feet and rejoiced in heart with all thy despite against the land of Israel. Behold, therefore, I will stretch out mine hand upon thee and will deliver thee for a spoil of the heathen. I will cut thee off from the people uh, and I will cause thee to perish out of the countries. I will destroy thee and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And Ezekiel, he makes it plain. They've been lifted up with pride and indeed they laughed as Israel had been judged, they'd stood and laughed and ridiculed as uh, judgment and calamity came upon God's people. They'd clapped their hands and thought it was a great thing. They rejoiced to see Israel suffer. And so now they're going to reap the reward of what they've sown. God says you're going to reap the reward of your own sin, their pride, their arrogance. And verse 9 declares declares to us the judgment that is to come. It says, Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom, and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah, even the breeding of nettles and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall spoil them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. Here we're told that Moab and Ammon are going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, were destroyed by God for their great wickedness. God sent down fire and brimstone from heaven. He wiped them from the face of the earth. Nothing remains. And that's the prophecy here concerning Ammon and Moab. God said he's going to deal with these two nations. They're going to be utterly destroyed because of their sin. The threat here is of complete destruction. We're told in verse 9 there, it says that their fertile land will become desolate. It's going to become a place for nettles and for salt pits. It's going to become a wilderness, a desert. And again, this prophecy is fulfilled in part when Nebuchadnezzar invaded and made war with the Moabites and the Ammonites. And this occurs five years after he takes Jerusalem. After he's taken Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar then comes against Moab and Ammon. 
and he overtakes them, he overpowers them, and indeed, like the Philistines, these two nations no longer exist. These two nations, as God said, have been wiped from the face of the earth. And indeed, their land is, as God said, desolate. It is a place of thistles and salt pits. Exactly as God said, it is a wilderness. God's word has been fulfilled. You know, verse 9 ends with the prophet once again saying that the Jews will occupy the land of their enemies. It says at the end of verse 9 there, uh, the residue of my people shall spoil them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. God again declares there's a day coming when Israel will possess the land of Ammon and the land of Moab. They will possess this land. And again, this will be fulfilled when Christ comes again, when he rules and reigns on this earth. Not only that, we're told in verse 11 that he will famish the gods of the earth. It says in verse 11, the Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and men shall worship him, every one from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. He says he will famish the gods of the earth. Basically what this means is there's going to be no more worshippers left for these false gods. There's no one left to offer sacrifices unto the idols, so the idols are going to starve. They're going to be famished. And they will pass away because no one is left to worship them. Instead, as it says in verse 11 there, men will worship God. They will worship the Lord and they'll worship Him alone. And again, the fulfillment of this is when? The millennial kingdom. The millennial reign when men will worship Christ and Christ alone. They will worship God. He rules and reigns here on earth. The third nation here we see is Ethiopia, verse 12. It says, Ye Ethiopians also, ye shall be slain by my sword. Now, having declared judgment upon the nations to the east and to the west, the attention now turns to the south, to the Ethiopians. And we're told here the Ethiopians will be slain by his sword, the Lord's sword. The Hebrew word Ethiopian here means Cush or the Cushites. And this nation was located in the upper Nile region. And they were close allies with Egypt. And so this reference probably includes Egypt as well. Because they often work together. And the pronouncement of judgment here against Ethiopia is short and concise. It's one verse. It's very short. It simply says, Ye shall be slain by my sword. We're told that they're going to be slain by the sword of the Lord. And the reference here once again is to none other than Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the sword of the Lord. He is the sword that God used to judge the nations. He is the sword, Nebuchadnezzar and his army. God used them to judge this nation and indeed the other nations we've looked at. Just turn over to Ezekiel chapter 30 with me. Because Ezekiel talks about the same thing. Ezekiel chapter 30. <clears throat> Ezekiel 30 verse 4, it says, And the sword shall come upon Egypt, and great pain shall be in Ethiopia, and the, when the slain shall fall in Egypt, and they shall take away her multitude, and her foundations shall be broken down, Ethiopia and Libya and Lydia, and all the mingled people, and Chub, and the men of the land that is in league, shall fall with them by the sword. 
In Ezekiel 30, he describes the same thing. It says the sword is going to deal with Ethiopia. And we see there mentioned Egypt as well with them. You know, once again, God's word has been perfectly fulfilled. You know, after Nebuchadnezzar has subdued the Moabites and the Ammonites, Nebuchadnezzar then invaded Egypt. He went down south. He invaded and defeated Egypt and its allies, Ethiopia, these Cushites. God's word, again, was fulfilled against this nation. And lastly, now we see the judgment against Assyria. The judgment against Assyria. Verse 13, it says, And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. The final prophecy is concerning Assyria to the north. The final point of the compass, if you like. Now, until the rise of the Babylonians, the Assyrians were the dominant power. They were the powerhouse in the region. They were a ruthless people. They were known for their pride, for their cruelty to their enemies. Now, a century and a half before this, God had sent the prophet Jonah unto the capital city, Nineveh. And you know, Jonah had been sent with a message, sent to warn them that God's judgment was coming unless they repented. And of course, as we know, they listened to Jonah, they repented, and they changed. And God spared them from that judgment. But over the generations that followed, they went back to their old pagan ways. And now God uh, tells Zephaniah that the end is coming for this once great and powerful nation. In verse 13 here, God declares that he's going to stretch out his hand against Assyria. It says in verse 13, he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. God says he's going to stretch out his hand against Assyria and he's going to destroy the capital city, Nineveh. He's going to make the capital city a desolation. You know, this is precisely the, the, the fate that Zephaniah's contemporary, Nahum, had declared in his prophecy. The whole book of Nahum, if you remember, is all about Nineveh and the judgment coming upon Nineveh. So we could go there and we could read the book and see exactly what Zephaniah is declaring here. Nahum said the same thing, that the city of Nineveh would be taken, it would be overthrown, it would be destroyed. And the Assyrian nation would be defeated. You know, this verse ends here by declaring that they will be made dry like a wilderness. Nineveh will be dry like a wilderness. Now, Nineveh, if you remember, was a city built on the river Tigris. They're right next to it, and indeed the moat was part of the river. You know, it was a place that was well watered. It was a lush place to live. That's why this city was there, because it was such a fertile place. But God declares that instead it's going to become like a desert. It's going to be dry like a wilderness. In verse 14, he declares the destruction of Assyria and its capital will be so great that herds will now live where once this population had been. It says in verse 14, And flocks shall lie down in the midst of her, all the beasts of the nations, both the cormorant and the bittern, shall lodge in the upper lintels of it. Their voice shall sing in the windows, desolation shall be in the thresholds, for he shall uncover the cedar work. He declared that 
the destruction of this city is going to be so great that now the wild beasts and the wild birds are going to live, going to dwell in the ruins of this city. You know, at this point in time when Zephaniah is making this prophecy, Nineveh is one of the largest cities in the world, if not the largest city in the world. It is a, a mighty power, a city where there is thousands of people living. And yet here God declares that he's going to destroy this city, he's going to leave it like a wilderness where the beasts now live and the birds dwell in their, in their windows and sing their songs. So great is the desolation coming upon this city. And the prophecy concerning Nineveh here concludes in verse 15. With God speaking about their pride, it says, This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. How is she become a desolation? A place for beasts to lie down in. Everyone that passeth by her shall hiss and wag his hand. Here we see the prophecy includes speaking about Nineveh's pride, the whole Assyrian nation's pride. You see, the inhabitants of Nineveh, they thought that their city was impregnable. You know, they believed that they were you know, the greatest, and that they were never going to be defeated. No one could ever overcome us. We're too powerful, we're too strong. But declares here that he is going to humble this nation. Humble this city, this city that said, I am. And there is none beside me. It's pride, isn't it? It's the height of pride. And God says he's going to humble them. He's going to bring them down. Bring them low so much so that everyone passing by will hiss and wag his hand. Basically what that means is that people will pass by, they will see the ruins and they will hiss in derision and rejoice as well. That Nineveh has been destroyed. Everyone will be reminded by the ruins of the judgment of God and no one's going to feel compassion for them. No one's going to miss Nineveh. No one's going to miss the Assyrian nation. And once again, these words of the Lord have been perfectly fulfilled. In 612 BC, Nineveh was completely destroyed by the Babylonian army. It was made a desolation exactly as God said. You know, within a few years, this once great Assyrian empire simply vanished from the face of the earth. Once again, the nation was destroyed, disappeared exactly as God said. And beloved, the prophecies that we read here in chapter 2 concerning the destruction of these nations have all come true exactly as God said. They've all happened. Indeed, God's word is true. God's promises can be trusted. Now, if we can take nothing else away from this chapter, that's what we can learn, isn't it? That God's word can be trusted. That God is faithful. He will keep his promises. You know, God had promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless those nations that blessed Israel and he would curse those nations that cursed Israel. You know, here in Zephaniah chapter 2, we see God is fulfilling that promise, isn't he? He's cursing those nations that cursed his people. God kept his word. Each of these nations had mistreated his people. And God kept his promise. God brought judgment upon them. You know, that promise from God still stands today. That promise that he will bless those who bless his people and curse those who curse his people. 
that promise still stands today. And there is a day coming when God will, in the great day of the Lord, judge the nations for their treatment of God's people. He will come and he will fight on behalf of his people. He will destroy the nations that have come out against him. And he will set up his kingdom here on earth and he will reign for a thousand years. God will keep his promise to his people. And beloved this evening, as believers we can rejoice in the knowledge that God keeps his word. The study chapter 2 this week, that really is the blessing that comes forward from it, isn't it? That God keeps his word. His word is true and it all will be fulfilled exactly as God said in his perfect time. Beloved, we can claim the promises of his word and we can know that God will be faithful. And perhaps the most wonderful promise of all is that he's coming again, isn't it? It's the most glorious promise of all. That he's coming again to take us home to glory. And beloved, we can know that he will keep that promise. Just as he's kept all these promises that we find in the Old Testament. God is faithful to his word. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for these minor prophets, Lord, these books at times that are, are full of words of judgment. But Lord, even in uh, these words of judgment, we can see, Lord, uh, great blessings. We can see these gems. And Lord, this wonderful knowledge, Lord, that you keep your promises, that, Lord, your word is true. And, Lord, everything you've said will happen will come to pass in your perfect timing. And, Lord, we long for that day when you'll come again. We long to be in your presence to see your face. Lord, may we leave tonight rejoicing in the fact that you are a faithful God. You are a God who keeps your word. And we praise things in Jesus' name.